I, mean, I think that a lot of these songs are very they're very sensual because they're 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 kind of they're they're loving songs. And because I'm making this music right now, I'm not sending it out to DJs to go play on big sound systems. <laughs> I'm I'm just playing it in the cabin with with uh, Catherine, and I love to make her go, oh wow, you know. <laughs> so a lot of this is based around you know uh, the play, playing music for this one person and and uh, having this very intimate um, experience of cohabitation in this gorgeous, beautiful land of Scotland. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, the the photos you've been posting are insane. Just like surrounded by water and mountains and got a hot tub outside and chickens and all sorts of crazy stuff. Oh man, becoming a chicken daddy this year. That was one not something I saw in the cards. But yeah, we're up to we got 16 chickens. <laughs> Damn, wait, can you, so you can have... you name them all? Welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Mr. Bill's manager, and you hear background noise because this is an on-the-road version of the podcast intro. We just did the Mish in Northern Colorado for the Kill Bill Project, which was sold out thanks to everyone who came out. There will be one more Colorado Kill Bill play in 2021 that's happening at Cervantes in Denver in September. So make sure you get your tickets for that. They should be on sale as you hear this now. Uh, today's guests are Zebler and Incanti of Zebler Incanti Experience. I know them very, very well since I happen to manage them as well. Incanti's been on the show before, but this is the first time the guys are coming on as a duo because they just put out an insane audio-visual album, Sink or Swim, which is out now on Gravitas Recordings. They're going to talk about that as well as a bunch of other crazy shit because they're all friends and they're into weird shit. So I'm going to cut this intro short. It's already long overdue. Apologies for not getting this episode out sooner. But again, we've been on the road and doing fun things. So get off our asses. Um, you will hear Zebler and Incanti in their own words now. Enjoy yourselves. Take care of yourselves and have a good one. This is the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. cool well yeah thanks for thanks for coming on guys um yeah i haven't recorded a podcast in a while i did this like massive batch of recording them like a month ago and recorded like 50 and then i so i haven't recorded one in a long time and they've just been like coming out weekly but <laughs> they're all from like a long time ago but i i feel like i shouldn't record podcasts that way because uh, you know, a lot of the podcasts that are coming out today is like me talking about like NFTs and shit, which is like, you know, that shit is months old at this uh, point. So two months ago. Yeah, exactly. Did you guys do any NFTs? I feel like you you would do NFTs, right, Zeppler? Yeah. Um, so to be honest, my roommate, Devin, his art is actually behind me. Um, 
clear void. He got me into NFTs because he just started uh, right before pandemic um, on the website called Super Rare. So he was one of the early adopters there. He got in, got accepted, and um, just said uh, it was kind of an awesome thing to try out. And it was just like a perfect moment for me because we all just ran out of things to do. You know, there's no shows. There's nothing to do in public. There's no public installations that I could do. So um, that was kind of a good moment for that reason. But also it hit me when I started selling some stuff online that I've never, ever, ever made, like sold digital visual art before like that at all. I've never thought it would be even possible. There's no like distribution network out there available for digital visual media in the same way there is for music even. You just can't. Um, it used to be the use you can like get paid for releasing stuff on, you know, music video channels, MTV, whatever. But that's everyone's just expecting visuals to to be available for free online for everyone. And so it's just been kind of really amazing for me personally. Uh, and uh, I'm standing by it. Did you get a lot of kickback from like fans when you put out NFTs? Kickback? Yeah, like do, did people get kind of mad because of the environmental impact and stuff like that? No, no. And we're not really doing anything as far as uh, Zibler and Canty experience so far. We're, we're just kind of, uh, I've been experimenting with it solo style as Zibler uh, up to this point. Uh, so maybe for that reason, but I've, I've received nothing but like really positive feedback from people. And uh, I don't know. I think I think there's just something about being a starving artist for a really long time and being surrounded by other starving artists that when there was an opportunity to actually get paid for your work, people kind of celebrated it and cheered each other on. Uh, so our whole community like just we we just encouraged each other to to get paid for each other's work finally and you know see see what this new tech is all about mm. yeah that was not the experience i had <clears throat> i uh, minted an nft for like i think it cost me a hundred bucks to mint it and then it didn't sell so really the whole experience just cost me a hundred bucks but then it also pissed a ton of people off on twitter like, oh, you oh, got man. a double whammy. You had the, yeah. the double negative there. That's right. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. So I lost I lost money and fans. <laughs> yeah, it's it's risky business. Everything that we do has like weird public ramifications of people deciding if we're cool or not. It's a weird, weird place to live in, in a way. Uh, but it's also a weird place to like look at uh all sorts of digital transactions now let's say the stock market is becoming more democratized uh with meme stocks being uh, yeah. <laughs> sold and bought it's 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 like your cred in a way is your cred it's like how much are people willing to think that you're cool is how much your brand is worth and it's it's a weird landscape and i could i could you know sympathize there Right. So in a way, um, <clears throat> you're saying earlier how people just kind of expect you to give away or they just expect visuals to be free and whatnot. I feel like the same has been true a little bit of like music 
uh, up until, you know, kind of the recent Spotify yeah. years. But I think the value that you get out of it is exactly that, right? Like by giving things away for free, you get this like cred. And then from there, you can kind of like catapult a career off the back of that, that cred. Yeah. I mean, everything is, is currency ultimately. Oh, like, yeah, everything is transactional, maybe. It doesn't need to be crypto to be currency. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. That's why, like, to be honest, sometimes I'm, like, really careful when other people offer me favors. Because I know, karmically speaking, I will owe them a favor now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like nothing is just done and, and then not paid for in another way. Um, how have you been, Ben? Oh man, I've been good. Thanks. Yeah, um, I'm just uh, out here in Applecross, Scotland, and and living by the sea. And uh, been uh, going to back to school. Been a student this year, and uh, that's been very mind expansive. So you know, I, I love learning. I love learning as as uh, you you know as much as I love teaching. And and I think that after spending a decade not learning, then coming back into it, I was really nervous. Like, oh man, maybe I'm too old for my brain to work. <laughs> and uh, and then, then all of a sudden, oh my God, I made a VST and I never thought I'd be able to do something like that. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a great year. I feel like, uh, you know, younger this year. I mean, I know that's painful to say coming out of the pandemic and stuff, but, you know, things th- things are really good, really relaxed lifestyle here. Nice. Um, and you were studying some audio-related stuff. Yeah. Um, actually, a lot of that you hear on the on the new record. Um, last year, I think the most inspiring music that I heard was uh, Rob Clouth's album uh, Zero Point. Mm-hmm. And when that came out, I listened to it like really deep. Listen, you know, and several times. And I kept just kept hearing sounds, and I'm like, "How did he do that?" You know, and the answer was somewhere out there, entangled with granularization and spectral morphology, all tied together in a really cool Clouth way. Um, so uh, fortunately, he he was really open about it. He talked at Sonar Barcelona about how he made some of the record, and then he talked on the Mister on the on the Wolg uh, broadcast about um, what he was doing for production and. Uh, some some new synthesis pop- t- techniques popped up for me, um, like uh, concatenative sound synthesis and uh, NMF-based concatenation. And I started uh, just Googling these things and going down rabbit holes of reading, you know, research articles. And, um, and just at that same time, I was thinking about going to school. So I combined it into my master's thesis. And so this year I'm doing a research master's um, all about uh, concatenative synthesis. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. <clears throat> um, can you explain to people what concatenative synthesis is? Sure. Uh, sure. Yes. Can you explain it to me as well? <laughs> yes. I'm, uh, this is a great challenge. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give it a try. Uh, so concatenation means to bring things together, and uh, you can. Basically, I mean, concatenation is kind of what we do when we go through our sample libraries and we're like, I want a sound that's kind of like this, and you imagine it and you try to find a close imitation. Um, Concatenative synthesis uses machine learning to uh, select sounds based on weighted descriptors. Um, So an example would be Spotify is using concatenative synthesis when oh not spotify sorry shazam when you um, shazam a song it like looks at the 
frequency footprint, looks at the spectral footprint, and it tries to match it against an enormous database. And it says, ah, these patterns match this song. Um, so what you can do with concatenative synthesis is use that same kind of algorithm, except you can show it like a drum loop and then say, I want you to make this drum loop out of this folder full of other sounds, folder full of other drum loops. And it'll say, okay, it'll look at the first chunk is a kick drum and it'll find the most close kick drum and then rearrange from folders of other sounds. That's, that's essentially what concatenative synthesis is about. Right. So you essentially, <clears throat> you give it one sound and you say, I want you to create this sound. And then you feed it a corpus of sounds or like a folder of sounds and say, I only want you to make this sound out of like, I only want you to match this target based off all this shit that I'm giving you. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, that's so cool, man. I, I feel like that kind of stuff has just not uh, been like heavily looked into in audio uh like electronic music production or just music production in general so much. I feel like everyone sort of got stuck on wavetable synthesis for some reason. I know. I it's know. like every synth that comes out, it's like new wavetable synth. Um, there's that granular synthesis obviously is like, you know, it's, it's kind of popular, but it's not nowhere near as popular as wavetable stuff. And then, you know, you've obviously got like additive and subtractive and stuff, but I, I really feel like <laughs> wavetable just like took over for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see if concatenative synthesis, you know, gets, uh, it probably will never get to the same popularity as something like granular synthesis, but I hope it's like, you know, somewhere in the realm of, um, you know, at least there's no plugins out there right now, really, that you can purchase to just be like, Hey, let's actually there are, um, cause it's, it's a very broad concept and, um, there's a lot of different takes on how to do uh, concatenative synthesis. One of them out there that I really like is uh, by, it's called XO um, mm. by XLN Audio. And oh, but that's more of like a sample uh, like a sample viewer type thing, isn't it? Exactly. And it, and it allows you to view and explore samples, though, based on automatically figuring out which samples are like other samples. Um, so that is a way of, uh, you know, uh, analyzing... Uh, the audio and kind of giving it these weighted descriptors. Okay, this is a long sound. This is a low sound. This is a high pitch sound. This is noisy. And then it spreads it all out <clears throat> and uh, allows you to explore them based on these similarities. Uh, so it's not putting together the sound in the same way, but that's the same kind of concept. That's, that's one way that you can do it. Another one is by that company um, that, oh, what are they called? They did the dehumanizer, Kronos Audio. Hmm. Um, they they, they got them. they got a pretty good one out that that where the idea is you you can go into a microphone and if you're scoring the sound for a film you can just make foot footstep sounds with your mouth and then choose a footsteps folder and it'll actually make that sound effect for you so you can be mm. like and you know select horse hooves and it'll actually make that rhythm, you know, in real time. So that's really exciting. But the stuff I've been using has mostly been in, in Python. So my production has totally changed since last year. I sit there behind Python and I wait for an offline process to spit out a sample. And then I adjust some lines of code and do it again and again until something cool comes out. Mm. Do you find that's like a an interesting way to deal with sound design or do you think it's kind of like a regression from having a GUI 
Or is it progression from having a GUI? <laughs> well, I would definitely rather have a GUI, but uh, a lot of this stuff is just really so experimental. You know, with with stuff like wavetable synthesis, there's a lot of knowns. You're like, okay, you're probably going to want a filter. You're probably going to want this kind of wave shaper. You know, and there's the, the canon of tools that you use in subtracted synthesis is just so much more um, agreed upon. But this is a frontier where it's like you have a you have a you know a hundred options. Who knows what's going to make the cool sound? You know, like <laughs> so you try mm. to put it together in in different ways, and you build presets that that just you know work with one kind of thing versus another. Um, but I so cannot wait for it to be real time, for it to be in Max or or some plugin something one day. Mm, yeah, totally. Um, so you just made a new album. Is the album out yet, or is Actually, it came out today at the time we're recording this today. Oh, sweet. Um, and that album has a ton of these kind of new production techniques on them? Well, this album, I, th I think it was my uh, kind of a warm up for what I'm doing right now. Right now, um, I'm producing music completely based around this concept of concatenative synthesis. Um, but I was testing some things on this album. So there's really strange like disembodied voices in the song for instance uh contact traces and all of those voices are made by f making a big folder full of voices and then sending just a synth melody into that folder and piece together the melody from timbres pulled from that that folder uh so i was trying a lot of this uh th these cool uh techniques out in the album and they're they're scattered around but it's it's definitely you know, just, just my experiments here and there. I have a really good idea for making money. You should get the entire Splice library, like just the entire Splice database, run all the drums through a concatenative synthesizer and then be like, make all different drums using all of their drums and then sell them back to Splice. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. You know, I've been making some cool stuff with uh, your Spectra pack. Uh, that was using that as a testing material all since September. Oh, yeah, it was like a corpus. Yeah, I, I remember you sending me a few things and it's sounding pretty interesting for sure. Yeah, you know, sometimes it spits out complete gibberish and nonsense. So I think that um, I'm kind of approaching it like it's not the be-all, end-all of sound design, but when you combine it with granular synthesis, with all the stuff that we do normally you know, as a part of the process, you know, that that's when it really starts sounding good. And you got to make the conscious effort. You got to say, I'm not going to use a drum loop or a drum machine to make these drums. I'm going to make these drums by piecing together with machine learning, a whole bunch of sounds from this folder. And when I get something good, that's I'm uh, then send that to the granular synthesizer. Mm, yeah, totally. Um, what, so what was the process like for making the album? Like what, uh, because uh Zebla, you don't uh write music really right you kind of just do all the visual side of the project so all the like video stuff and the stage build and all that kind of stuff uh first of all let me make a little love poem for ben <laughs> ben i freaking love you you are super cool mate and i'm blessed to have you as my music partner for the last you 10 too, years buddy. plus because it's been tremendous and it's because of this super kind of good working chemistry that we have going with each other. The project is still continuing. 
and we're still doing what we're doing. And it's still pretty easy. And yeah, in the nutshell, Ben does all the music. I do all the visuals. And uh, we both have veto power uh, to veto bad ideas, uh, which are all obviously subjective. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> that's kind of keeps us saying that we can do that. Uh, so we help shape each other's um, art. But basically, we're kind of left alone in each other's worlds as well. Um, but with this album specifically, some of the stuff that I started hearing coming out of Ben's production really, really inspired me um, just because I'm kind of a fan of this kind of textural, more IDM-y musical production. Nice. Um, so what was the process like? Was Ben just sort of sending you stuff and then you'd be like, well, that's cool. Like I have an idea for a visual component that could work for that or... Um, I guess so. The the one that kind of worked the best for us was the one with the where the music video has a bunch of granulated sand that's vibrating to the music. Um, you know, I was just trying to uh, see if some of these sand vibrations could look cool in a music video, and I mocked it up and I sent it back to Ben. And the track was basically just kind of like a synthesizer line. It was really really beautiful, but pretty bare. And Ben saw the visuals of the sand just kind of traveling left and right, back and forth. And it lit him up to add some traveling sand uh, textures to the entire piece. Um, so there's like little little elements like that. But then in the nutshell, we both uh, are working in our own kind of studios. You know, Ben was in Scotland throughout the entire pandemic while I was in Boston. And we were kind of stuck doing what we we're doing. But... Um, we have developed almost like an intuitive way of trusting each other with most of the decisions by now. Um, so pretty much he creates a track. Uh, pretty much I always like it besides a few exceptions. And, uh, and then I just set out to create a, a music video to it. Uh, we have a bunch of meetings where we kind of decide whether the ideas going forward on a music video are good ideas. And then uh, everyone waits for my first draft to either yell at me or tell me I'm awesome. And uh, hopefully it's the awesome part and then things can go fast. Uh, but when there's creative feedback, you know, no matter how ouchy it feels, no matter how like depressing it is to just throw an idea away, like ultimately I found that having both Ben and our manager and non like kind of crush my spirit a few times is good because uh, the end result is so much better. So, you know, we just we just try to go uh, for unrestrained idea expression uh, and, uh, and just shape it out of whatever creative flows are around us. This particular album, for me, though, um, was way slowed down. It is a, is a totally different listening and viewing experience from our previous stuff that tended to be a bit more hectic and kind of full-on dance party-like, you know, just like run into the middle of the dance floor, throw your hands up in the air and just go bananas. Like that is Z in the nutshell, if you think about it. Uh, but this is more meditative, templative, like contempt... Uh, I don't even know what the word is. Contemplative... <laughs> Contemplative. Anyway, contemplative. It makes you. It makes you listen. It makes you kind of slow down, and 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 uh, it's an experience. So visually, for me, what it represented is um, that kind of meditative watching of everything that's happening around us, 
And uh, because I've been playing around with, uh, with the drone since uh, Exit Stance music video uh, and been doing a bunch of time lapses as well, that vibe just hit me as the right vibe for the entire album. Um, because there's something, there's something, because it's a process. I had to put myself through the process of actually sitting in those places. Every single time lapse you see in all of these music videos was me sitting in all of these places looking at all this stuff so there's just something so intimate about this for me because it's literally every single piece that you see there has been shot by me uh and edited by me so it's just like a window into a, a world that i was witnessing and experiencing and also uh a lot of the stuff was shot on uh this cross-country trip that i took the uh, last summer in august the whole country was basically kind of emptied out in the usual city spaces uh, because of the pandemic, which brought on its own kind of eerie beauty and quality to the cities uh, in a kind of a weird, bizarre way. But still, there was, there was just something eerily beautiful about all these empty spaces. And we also hit a lot of national parks, uh, did a lot of time lapses there. And I ended up proposing to my girlfriend on the trip as well. So there's just like a lot of intimacy woven straight into the fabric of these music videos from, from my end. Nice. So you took more of like a, a traditional cinematography type approach to this album rather than sort of all this visual uh, digital stuff that you were mostly doing before? Yeah. And it's a huge kind of break from my usual style, I would say. Uh, where most of the footage and most of the content is actually photorealistic stuff that I've shot with actual cameras. Uh, everything is edited kind of to flow with the music really nicely. And I would say there's still, you know, uh, it's there, I think, nine, eight, nine tracks there. How many tracks do we have then? So there are nine music videos. And out of those, like, I didn't keep everything in this new style, uh, there's still some really interesting GAN generated textures that are pulsing with uh, the beat of the music. That kind of stuff was also weird and trippy and crazy to create. Uh, there are some slit scan experiments where there's just stretchy, goopy bodies, kind of like some rubber Johnny experiments from <laughs> Apex Twin back in the day. I was trying out some of these things too for this album. Um, and, uh, you know, the sand texture experiment, while started uh, being photorealistic, kind of departed into DMT world as well. So, you know, there are all sorts of flavors in there, but the majority of it is, is a bit more contemplative and, and it, photorealistic and just beautiful. I just wanted to, to feel some beauty. Nice. Yeah, I watched... Um not all of it, but some some of these music videos on YouTube, I think. They yesterday. are all out. And that's that's been our point. From the very beginning, we wanted people to experience the whole thing all at once as an audiovisual experience in 4K. We're not shying away. Uh, the entire uh, album has been released as a single mix uh, yesterday through ShivLight. I think it's on ShivLight's uh, YouTube channel right now. Uh, so, and it's a, it's a really cool experience if you, uh, it's kind of intimate, but if you, if you want to like create a little gathering with a few of your good friends, like get a blanket together, a projector, uh, get stoned as fuck and, and, and press <laughs> play on it. I think you'll have a really good time. 
because the whole thing is there. It's 4K. Everybody can just watch it. It doesn't cost you a penny to, to have this experience. We're not designing this for dance parties. We just want you to have this experience and that's it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've uh, not made an album like that when <laughs> when in pandemic mode. I actually haven't even finished my album. But yeah, uh, if you watch it on YouTube, though, how long is the mix? Like an hour and a bit or something like that? Uh, it's it's 37 minutes, I think. Okay. I feel like you're bound to get two ads at least in that period of time, <laughs> like mid watching the thing. Then all of a sudden it's like, Monster energy drinks. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. There's only so much that I can control. I kind of used to fight for, for like really clear image representation with labels and managers and all that stuff. Uh, but it just gets overwhelming. I mean, like when Ben and I first tried our experiment, we were convinced that we could perform in surround sound in every nightclub. I don't know, but there's like only so much that you can fight for, for people to experience your art in the most pure way. I think what I'm going to do just to give people a chance to, to go full nuts is like, maybe we can just enable like a download feature too. So that, uh, I don't know, for like some optional donation, people could download the entire album in 4k and then there's no ads, no nothing. And they could just watch it at their leisure. Mm, it's a good idea yeah so in in the same way that like you know ben or i don't get to play in nightclubs in surround sound and therefore we uh or at least i um and i think a lot of other producers start to think about like well how can i make stereo the most interesting and also the most make my mixes the most compatible with stereo sound systems like for instance i'm always thinking about how my mixes pack down to mono and i'm always thinking about like phase mm. issues with like the left and the right side and stuff like that um is there anything like that in the in the or, uh, visual world yeah there's there's some really clear correlations i would say the the easiest one to kind of grasp is the pixel count because uh, you if you're a vj and you don't have a consistent rig that you perform on Right. So like for Z, we do have our touring stage sometimes, but sometimes we don't, you know, sometimes we just do a fly out and perform in some nightclub on a random uh, visual system. And I've been plugged into stuff that's just like 400 pixels wide and, and just so low res, it's like incredibly painful. And then I've been plugged into systems that are like 4k and just will overwhelm me if I try to push all the pixels during a live setting. So, so there's just that big range. And I think if you were a touring VJ, I would say a good, good experience, uh, is just to like try to optimize your set for, for being uh possible to present in really high res and kind of low res and uh another thing for me and that's just like a personal thing always um depending on how big the screens are uh you can either be invisible or really really loud visually Right. So if your screens are tiny and like scattered throughout this the club you can use them as strobe lights you can just strobe them and everything will look super cool and everyone will be super happy and like dancing with the music and vibe. Uh, but if you have giant screens that are LED screens or just massive and you try the same trick, everyone will just go blind, you know? <laughs> so, so it's just like you have to adapt to like 
you know, not sure if it's in the same way that audio people adapt to the sound system, but you have to adapt to the visual system in a way that makes sense for the size, uh, pixel count and brightness and the venue. It seems like the visual side of things might be a little bit less policed and more unregulated. Yeah, I mean, it's wild west still. It's completely wild west. It's like I've I've had situations where I've been completely forgotten about, you know. So it's 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 been rough. Uh one of the best experiences though was like on our China tour, we just happened to be booked in a nightclub that that was just like a giant professional nightclub. And it was wrapped in LED panels, like floor to ceiling. The entire thing was like a massive tunnel of LEDs. And they're like, here's your cable. <laughs> and I just felt for once like a god. I'm like, this is what it's like to, to play on like a giant subwoofer stage, you know? This is my chance. So nice. I do get treats once in a while, but it's, it's uh, you know, it can be a little challenging too. Yeah, I mean, I guess the equivalent of just like blasting strobes through a huge wall and making everyone blind is like the equivalent of somebody in in the audio world just being able to go as loud as they possibly want and as bassy as they possibly want with no uh, limiters or anything like that. But, you know, audio people always like put limiters on the master and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah, we should talk about 9-11. Oh, no. I <laughs> oh, no. I am out. <laughs> I am out right now. I'm just gonna have some of this chicken sandwich while you guys. <laughs> oh, that's so funny because, um, hey, Bill, am I am I actually the the? How many people have you had on the podcast twice? Uh, let's see. I think uh, the flashbulb's been on twice. Oh yeah. Should get him on every other episode. We, we, we love Ben dude. Jordan. Yeah, he's he's a fun dude to talk to. He he has a lot of um, interesting opinions on things, and he's just like crazy knowledgeable too. You know, like he's in in just like every aspect. You know, you can talk with him about like politics, and he just seems to know everything about that. And you can talk to him about like machine learning, and he seems to know everything about that too. And like you talk to him about buying houses, and he just knows all about the property <laughs> market. And like he's a, the dude has just like got some well-rounded information in his head. I think yeah, um, that, that guy's a genius. Yeah, he just he, he all day every day is just like pumping himself full of information. Eloquent the, speaker too. I just you know love his YouTube channel. Yeah, it's great. I I just don't understand. Like, I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, and I like I read you know some articles. I listen to a shitload of podcasts. So I mean, I'm getting all this information, but I just don't retain any of it. I have the hardest time retaining just like random things that I remember or sorry, random things that I like uh, ingest. And some people like Ben is an example of this are just really good. I feel like it's just retaining everything. I, I've ran into some serious issues with it. And that's a kind of a funny topic for me too, because um, so I'm a native Russian speaker. Right. I grew up speaking Russian as my native language and like my second language was Polish and my third language was Belarusian. Uh, when I came to the States, I was 16 and uh, I just uh, I kind of wanted to get away from my culture like full on. Um, it was just some bad stuff happening there politically and also culturally speaking. I just like I decided I wanted nothing to do with it. So in the next four, five, six years, I started forgetting all of that stuff. 
And I started, this is where I started developing an accent while speaking Russian language, which, which was my native language. So to see that transition happen was kind of weird for me. But then when I started playing shows and just like super focusing on becoming an artist, I also found that I put like weird blinders on where I just blind myself from stuff that doesn't matter to my task. And while I perceive all this information, it just gets overwritten instantly. So like, you know, let's say you meet a hundred people at a show, you just write them over. It just kind of happens because you have to stay on task, whatever your task is. You know, if your task is to make sure your, your turntables are working, you know, your, your brain is just on that one task. So, so I think the more elaborate our crazy life projects get, the more aloof and like dazed out and hazy brain we, we're all at risk of being. And I don't know, maybe Ben, you're doing something right, but I've been, I've been spacing out on things like, you know, what day it is and, and like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do today? And, and like, did I eat like that kind of stuff? And just cause like, I get weird form of brain energy or some kind of dopamine rush from just getting projects done. I don't know what it is about me, but, but that also is like, it's a risk. It's a big risk. Cause like, like you said, it's good to be well-rounded sometimes. And, and you end up being like a, like a singular pathway dork in this going in this direction. Sometimes that could be a risk too. How so, do you know, how do you forget if you eat, if, you, if you've eaten, like you, you, you said you, you like get to a point in the day sometimes where you're just like, shit, have I eaten? How do you like not know? That, that luckily for me doesn't happen that, that often. Uh, but it's, it's more, it's more so. Well, you can forget to eat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I have some days where it gets to seven o'clock. I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten anything. Like you just get wrapped up in a project. Like shit, shit needs to get done. And, and you're like, oh my God, if I don't get this done right now, I'm fucking fucked. Ah, and then, then you're just getting it done, and then it's six o'clock, and you're like, "Did I eat? I don't fucking know. Like, I guess let's let's eat now. It's it's dinner time, but it's my breakfast." Dude, that never happens to me, man. First thing in the morning, I'm like, "I've got to eat before like anything." Bless like, your if, if, heart. Bless if your a, heart. If there's like a task that needs doing, yeah, what I'm do you like. Do? Well, I'm like, I should eat first before doing this task. Because, like, <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Bless your heart, because like you take care of yourself first. And well, it's not every, it's not about taking care learn. of myself. It's um actually a lot of the reason why is Jesus, man. YouTube's just tearing my hand up over here. <laughs> Get him, YouTube. <laughs> Get him. Uh, it's it's usually because I think I'll work more efficiently if I'm if I'm eating, right? Like if I have not eaten, it's a good chance I'll just start to get like all foggy in the brain and like, you know, start well, to that, lose concentration. That's definitely, that's definitely a thing. Yeah. Efficiency is good too. Hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely this, this year, like through the pandemic have, have started trying to take more of an approach of like a, take seven hours away from the computer just thinking about what i want to do and then just one hour at the computer doing it versus huh. before where i'd be like just eight hours at the computer trying to both figure out what i wanted to do and doing it you know it's uh, kind of like a, a that's a good approach like a measure twice cut once type deal i guess so. you know that pretty similar thing has happened to me too is that like th when i spend time away from the screen i you know, I think about, man, I really want to do this the next time I sit down, you know? And I think that when you get, like, that hunger of, like, oh, I got to work on this kind of sound or try this thing out. And um, then when you when you sit down, you're, you're hungry and, and ready to go. And, uh, and 
I always get those moments, especially when I'm doing something that I don't particularly super enjoy, like chores. You know, I'll be doing chores and they need to be done and it's really good to do chores. But while I'm doing it, I'm like, all right, now I know what the next thing I'm going to do. You know? <laughs> and and the cycle continues, like get a lot of work done, then do chores. And that makes you want to want to be more efficient. But if you spend all day just in the studio, first of all, your chores don't get done. And second of all, yeah, like you say, it's like you end up blanking out sometimes. Yeah, not only that, but I also feel like um, what I've noticed uh, is quite often when I'm sitting down at the computer, I'm not like doing the things that I was saying I was going to do when I was doing chores anyway. I'm mostly just like sitting down and all right, like, all right, let's get all the things out of the way, like, you know, Facebook messages and emails and all this kind of shit. And then before I know it, I'm like, I've been sitting at the computer for like an hour, not actually doing the things that I was like saying I was going to do. So I've been trying to get better about like using the computer as just like a workstation or a tool um, <clears throat> where when I sit down, it's like literally just to do these musical things that I was thinking about earlier and then moving on towards other shit. So I've actually been spending a lot less time at the computer doing stuff. Well, Bill, I've, I've, always, I've always been like so impressed by how fast you bang out work, man. I like the, the, the stuff that happens when you sit behind a computer for a day is just it's it's mesmerizing, man. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I, likewise, man. I mean, you, you you put out like how many albums in the last couple of years? Like three or something? Ben is really oh, intimidating nice. these days. Like you really are intimidating in that way. Like I cannot keep up. And I, I know granted video takes longer to do than, than audio, but he is uh, like we are releasing this new album today. Uh, ben pretty much has another album already made. Hmm. Wow. Like all new tracks, uh, an album of bangers, and then like uh, a whole beginning of another experimental, more ambient stuff too. And this is just me speaking kind of like as a collaborator and a fan, but I've never seen like this much creative energy pour out of a person. So, wow. Yeah, that's sick. Have you found um, being in Scotland has helped with that? Oh, yeah, man. Well, first of all, uh, big shout out to my partner, Catherine Stewart. Um, we have had uh, a really great lockdown together, actually. And I think that that we've been calling the pandemic the relationship hung hunger games. Because <laughs> if you can survive a relationship during this pandemic, then you guys are either meant to be together or you're coming out and you're getting a divorce. I heard the divorce rate has been going crazy because people like, and it makes sense because, you know, there's some relationships where, where the synergy in the relationship is based around being to being like uh, either going out and traveling and partying together, all stuff you couldn't do during COVID or it was based around spending less time together. Like we both work and then we see each other for a little while. But, and I don't think a lot of people were lucky enough to be in a relationship, you know, where you can be together all the time, you know? And I think that for me and Catherine, Catherine and I, one of the first things we really kicked it off on is when I met her, um, I said, you know, we were talking about the relationships in our lives. And I said, I, I think that every relationship in my life is a long distance relationship. <laughs> and she, she looked at me and she just had this feel, this like look of, man, I get you. Cause I feel the exact same way. She travels a lot. I feel like, um, this last year has been like being with a person for like two or three years, you know, because we've, we've just really been able to see what it's like to cohabit and really 
connect in that way for a, an extended period of time. And it's turned out to be really beautiful, you know? I feel like um like uh um it's 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 had a huge impact on the, this music here. I I think that a lot of these songs are very they're very sensual because they're 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 kind of they're they're loving songs. And cuz I'm making this music right now, I'm not sending it out to DJs to go play on big sound systems. <laughs> I'm I'm just playing it in the cabin with with uh, Catherine and I love to make her go, Oh wow. You know, <laughs> so a lot of this is based around, you know, uh, the play, playing music for this one person and, and, uh, having this very intimate, um, experience of cohabitation in this gorgeous, beautiful land of Scotland. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. The, the photos you've been posting are insane. Just like surrounded by water and mountains and got a hot tub outside and chickens and all sorts of crazy stuff. Oh man, becoming a chicken daddy this year. That was one not something I saw in the cards. But yeah, we're up to we got 16 chickens. <laughs> Damn. Wait, can you, so you can have... you name them all? Yes, we've named them all. Some of them have rotating names. You know, you got to like wait for a while and settle on the right name. Damn. Wait, so you had less than 16 at the start of the pandemic? Yeah, uh we 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 started with like, you know, five or six or something like that. Um, one of them got taken by a fox and another one died because a lightning storm hit and bless her heart. She fell over. She had a heart attack. The lightning scared our chicken to death. I know (laughs) it was the worst. Um, but, uh, after, after that, basically, um, you know, it turns out that, uh, chickens, they, when they, you know, lay, lay eggs, sometimes they just start sitting on them and then all of a sudden, boom, five brand new chickens. So we've we've had uh, very broody chickens, and they've just been laying their own eggs and sitting on them, and then making other little packs. So we got different generations now. We got teenagers running around, and we got really little ones, and now we have another chicken. Ed Zebler, you didn't know this. We got another broody chicken. So I think that by the time, um, you know, I see you guys again, that uh, there will probably be more young ones running around. Damn, <laughs> that's awesome. Um. Man, that's crazy. So, like, what do you do with all the eggs? Because, like, each chicken lays one egg a day, right? Uh, we get about four eggs a day, sometimes five, which pretty much keeps up with our consumption. Um, and it's more in the summer and then less in the wintertime. Some, some chickens don't lay any eggs in the winter. But, man, I love fresh eggs. I just, I love it, you know? And they're, they're just such gentle little creatures. Uh, we had a friend come over and call them nature's little screensavers. And that that was such a good um, <laughs> that that visual stuck with me because literally you're just sitting there and out your window they go by like a little pong ball just p- bouncing off the corner, you know. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's like the little DVD logo. Those chickens living in your yard. Uh, hey guys, I also want to say something too because uh, I visited Ben and Catherine before the pandemic there, so I get to see that whole landscape, the whole environment that he was surrounded himself in for the last year. And we were sitting on the shoreline at some point, all looking out to the shore. And uh, I, it just hit me that nature is the best VJ. It, like, it hit me there. I'm like, oh, my God, look at this resolution. The pixel count is so dense. These mountains are rendered so majestically. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of jo- joking. Uh, but at the same time, he's in a really inspirational place. I think there's something about just that vibe that you are soaking in from these ancient mountains and the the waterways. Like he can look out the window and see a dolphin or like a nuclear submarine 
you know, <laughs> whatever it is and on another day. It's just like, and I could also see that new album totally making sense with that landscape because it is, it's a slowed down space. You are uh, where Ben lives. You're hours. You're like two hours away from a town. And to get there, you have to drive over like the tallest mountain pass in Scotland just to get over to that other side on these weird one lane, not even roads. I don't know what they are. So it's so remote and so desolate. It just it just makes sense that these types of sounds would be coming out of them. Mm. Yeah, it looks it looks like the craziest place. I'll have to come over and visit at some point. I've never been to Scotland. Oh, Me we'd too. love to have you, Bill. Ben, you were trying to do some kind of a uh, audio artist retreat or or schooler temporarily before the pandemic happened. Yeah, that was that was the big exciting thing that was happening right before the pandemic came down, and it was it was going to happen in late March. So you know everything went down in early March, and uh, we had ten people that was that were signed up to fly out here with me uh, here at Eagle Rock, and I mean this is a big big lodge that uh, my partner runs. It's got uh, beds for fourteen people, but we had ten people sign up, and uh, we're gonna call, we, we're calling it the Beat Retreat, and uh, the idea was to just spend an immersive week where it's just you and the music, and we we have hot tub meetings and we have um uh pr private lessons and a daily you know kind of tutorial workshop and it's just music and music and headphones music on speakers we got we got all these Catherine's a writer so it was important to her to make writing nooks if you wanted to write by a window and look out at the sea there's every window with a view has a little place to write well that also doubles as a really nice place to put a laptop and and work on a beat and uh, I was really looking forward to that really looking forward to sharing the this energy with other producers and 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 seeing the the vibe and the energy of this landscape absorb into people's music and 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 curating an experience like that but unfortunately um you know covid shut it all down and had to refund everyone and cancel it um, but, and this, I think is probably the first time I've announced it. Uh, we're going to bring it back. We're, we're going to try to do it. I, I think we're looking at September or October. We're going to attempt to do another beat retreat out here. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I definitely feel like, uh, location changes the type of art you make, right? Like I've noticed when I was staying at your place, Ben in Spain, uh, that I was writing super different music to when I was, uh, at the time living in Colorado. Uh, and it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's different sort of natural rhythms and paces of different areas. And, uh, you know, Spain <clears throat> just had like a much more leisurely life pace about it than, you know, where I was in Denver, where it was all always pretty hectic and I was like flying every weekend and stuff. Whereas, you know, in Spain, you're sort of just right next to the Turia, uh, you know, just walking down like some of these really old school, like brick roads and stuff all the time. And yeah, I don't know. It's just like a completely different vibe. When, um, when I was there, uh, I basically noticed that they're, they're opposites of me in a, in a big way that they definitely don't forget to eat. They're like, yeah. they, they know what their life is all about. It's not about work at all. It's about leisure and friendships and kind of a more slow down, relaxed way of living. Although the politics yeah. are still crazy, but, you know. <laughs> I don't know anything about Spanish politics. 
What what's going on with the politics there? Uh, well, everyone's just kind of trying to split off, and everyone's like mad at each other, and there's still a divide between kind of like the conservatives uh, and the socialists, I guess, or the left wing uh, of of the people, and they have a really kind of a brutal history too. They they had a fascist dictator for a while. Um, I think the you know, besides my home country of Belarus, it was like one of the last ones in Europe. So, but, but like, that's always crazy uh, because that means that, you know, your parents or your grandparents were once killing your neighbors and vice versa. And, and just that vibe, it just can take centuries to resolve, you know? Yeah, it's crazy, like the, the knock on effects of like things that happened generations ago that are still. Uh, existent today like i mean the classic one obviously in america is um like how black people were treated right in like the 50s where it was kind of you know illegal to buy houses in certain places for instance i don't think black people could buy houses in like oakland until you know the late 50s or early 60s or something like that and you know the knock-on effects of that is that uh you know obviously wealth accrues over generations and that hasn't been possible for black people for reasons like this one um you know what's yeah, been just... kind of strange for me um is uh trying to explain the ethnic violence in eastern europe to my friends from the united states um because it's almost impossible to explain why a russian would try to kill a ukrainian or vice versa like everyone here is so kind of used to it being based on the looks Right. You're either like that look or you this look, you know, but you really can't tell them apart. <laughs> like you cannot tell a Ukrainian from a Russian. Uh, what you if can't... you are a Russian or a Ukrainian? Then can you tell? Uh, no, ah. no, you can't. I, I mean, like I'm from Belarus. You can't tell a Belarusian from like a Polish person. We're just so close to each other. Uh, blood uh, speaking, like, you know, genetically. You can't really tell us apart, but the culture, like, oh my God, we have centuries and centuries of murdering each other. We, we know who is who culturally speaking and those blood feuds, they go for generations. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Like that is what is expressing itself right now in that whole region. I mean, like in Ukraine conflict, there's over 10,000 people dead. It's just like, you know, they, they're fighting over something, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to translate it into like American language. Um, it's a, it's a totally different world, but I think it's also like valid to remember that everyone fucking squabbles with each other and you're going to cut this shit out and just try being a global family. Cause there's like, there's no way to get away from knowing someone when you when you fuck up a, a like a group of people, everyone is so connected now that you can't just go around be a conqueror without some kind of consequence to you. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a new kind of century. Everything is way more interconnected. And I guess I guess shit can still fall apart. But I'm just like hoping that that uh, instead we use that connectedness to maybe try to cut all this evil people killing bullshit out 
Well, the the thing with the internet, right, is you'd think it would solve that because you know it's sure everyone now has access to sort of this one, let's say, like huge digital courtyard or whatever where everyone can like hang out and see the same shit. Um, but that's actually not at all how shit works. Um, and instead, everybody has their own reality on their cell phone, you know, or on their computer. Like when I, if I for instance one day zebler if we swapped computers and like you would just you just spend a day on my computer looking at my discord and my social media and my oh, no. emails <laughs> and i spent a day looking at all of yours we'd be like holy shit this is like two separate fucking universes you know like it's not even the same shit at all and if you couple that with the fact that um <clears throat> most things on the internet that we spend our time on which is social media right so like instagram facebook twitter the primary focus of these platforms is to service ads uh and then the way that like these things service ads is they uh they're pretty much all just like working via ai so they just like track our behaviors they figure out what it is that triggers us to interact more on the app uh, so whether that be like, you know, something that pisses us off or something that like makes us happy or whatever it is. And then they just keep like pinging you with that shit. So hey, you I have an idea. App, so. Why, why, Ben, why don't you do that for music and just create a track that continuously auto improves <laughs> based on people's reaction to it? <laughs> or it just continues to serve them ads in the track based on <laughs> like what, uh, like what part of the track keeps them there or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this person really likes build-ups, so we'll just play them a continuous build-up and every 30 <laughs> seconds send them an ad for deodorant or something. <laughs> no, I think that there's actually um, th th some really great art that's waiting to be made with uh, data mining. I, I, I think that wouldn't it be cool, for instance, if you showed up to a party and when you show up to that party, you log in on the app. It says, I'm at this party. And you give that app as much permission as you give any of the other apps. It looks at who you are, where you're from, all your pictures, stuff that you like. And then what you could do is in that party, you could make all the visuals and the playlist and other aspects of the media that you see um, uh, be generative based on the data for the people that's there. You could say, oh, look, Paul and Mary over here, they both like Hootie and the Blowfish. You know what I'm saying? Like you could cause these connections to happen and uh and also display interesting infographs i don't know i think that there's a lot of really cool stuff that you could do just with the data that you can mine from somebody casually what if uh like there's a bunch of people at a party and nobody gives uh the data except for like one person and then it just starts like posting their weird images up on a projector or something like that then... <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to um, you'd have to incentivize people to give the data. That's how the companies do it anyway. Uh, but in all seriousness, guys, like I think there is so much value we can gain out of artificial intelligence optimizing our lives, but there is also so much danger that 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 can super freaking evil shit can happen so quickly with governments like being able to figure out where the dissidents are and you know rerouting their informational flow to 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 make them more uh docile like that kind of stuff so so it's a double-edged sword and and i i think we need to not forget about both sides of it like i i find that everyone's just been splintering off into like oh, everything is going to be dystopian or like, no, it's going to be solar punk and happy. Like, it's just both. Technology is, is like creating both bad stuff and good stuff. And 
And it's kind of going to be up to us to untangle it and figure out how to adapt to it so that the bad stuff doesn't take over and destroy everything, you know, but the good stuff helps us survive and makes us stronger. It's really tricky, but I, I really just don't want us to forget about both sides so, so stuff can be a bit more well-rounded. Totally. Though I think so long as AI is trying to serve you ads, it's constantly going to send you head on into somebody who disagrees with you on the internet. Conflict of, it creates interest, I guess. Exactly. That's what I mean. And then it can serve you more ads. Yeah. Like no, it's, yeah. There's all sorts of psychological stuff that's just like so bad. It's like the internet sometimes can be like worse than junk food for you because it, it just reroutes you into these channels that are, you know, they're designed to trap your mind in these loops. And uh, like you said, put that computer away sometimes, go for a walk, uh, get some fresh air, it'll be good for you. Mm, yeah yeah definitely getting into mountain biking through the pandemic was massive um oh man i love the pictures you've been posting i want to go mountain biking with you bill dude yeah you should mountain biking sick it's very fun um are either of you into rock climbing i just got into that uh well funny enough uh this is really funny actually not like fake funny this interview is interrupting my rock climbing invitation. Yo, no way. I'm going rock climbing directly after this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I might as well. That's uh, why I was like, oh, man, I need to be done by two because I need to yeah. go rock climbing. Well, that's, that's fine. I, I might as well go too. It's uh, our mutual friend, um, Ben's and ours. Like, uh, his name is Marty. He's also from Alaska. Shout out to Marty. Shout uh, out to Marty. He's been amazing as a friend and also inspiring me to just get into good shape. He's one of those guys that can do like a one-handed pull-up. Oh, know? yeah. Marty so is buff. He's out there in the gym waiting for me to just make fun of me. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll go. Well, the thing is with rock climbing is it's not about uh, like being able to do a one-handed pull-up. You know, like there's people at the gym who are way huger than Jan. No, it's, it's a climb. puzzle. It's like exactly, a puzzle yeah. you got to figure out. Yeah, like Jan is very small and like you know, not super jacked or anything, but she can climb the craziest shit just because she's got really good techniques. She's been climbing for a long time. But yeah, it's 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 kind of like a puzzle. They call them problems, um, especially on bouldering walls. Like, you know, there'll be a bunch of people um, huddled around what they call a problem, like all yeah. figure out this problem on the wall. It's pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's all about, well, it's not all about technique. It's like there is obviously some strength to it, like, you know, being able to hold yourself up um, helps. But... Yeah, it's, it's more about uh, energy efficiency, right? Like if you see a, a thing on the wall where it's like, yes, you could get up it by literally just like, you know, sheer strength, just pinching these two things and climbing your way up. It's like, yes, that's possible, but that's probably not like the most efficient right. way to do it, right? Like the, the, most the trippiest thing for me to get was that I could use my toes uh -huh, and, yeah. and just... If I don't breathe a certain way, I can lean against the wall and just use my toes and just the tippity tippity tips of my toes to just like not fall off. <laughs> and yeah, that actually that's... preserves so much energy because mm -hmm. so long as you're standing, you're not getting exhausted. But if you're hanging by your fingertips, it just gets old pretty quick. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So keep what, moving. what that's called if you're standing on the edge of your toe, it's called edging. <laughs> oh, and, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also another type of thing you can do called smearing, which is uh, where you like bend your foot like that and smear it along like a hold and the wall. Oh. And doing either of those things is definitely more energy efficient than hanging on with your hands because yeah. obviously your leg muscles are a lot stronger than your hand muscles. 
And also, um, you'd be surprised, like hanging out, like with your arms just completely straight like this doesn't really wear you out that quickly. Um, yeah. Kind of like a good analogy for this is if you're walking home, like with, with shopping bags from the store, like if you hold your shopping bags right. like this, it'll wear you out really quickly, right? But if you hold your shopping bags down straight, it doesn't matter how heavy they are, you can hang on to them, right? Well, it's easier. I still can't hang more than just a few minutes, you know? A few minutes is a long time. Like, you, you don't have to hang for a few minutes is a thing. You can generally figure out what you have to do within, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. 10 seconds. So it's like, yeah. But, yeah, man, it's it's fun. I've, I've been getting into climbing a lot um, in the same have way you, that Have I, you gone outside at all or just uh, indoor stuff? Just indoor stuff. But I've heard outdoor stuff is, like, way harder. It's, it's, it's fun. If you go with the, you know, somebody who knows how to uh, set a route and uh, use the rope well, uh, they can help you out. And I think it's just, it's very different because it's, uh, it's not as polite, I feel like, as a gym wall would be with all the super clean holds. Like you got to <laughs> just look for what's there and use whatever rock you can find. But it's kind of interesting. I like that fresh air environment. Yeah, totally. I've heard, uh, or rather, I've seen on uh, Reddit that a lot of the outdoor routes they kind of have like chalk marks and black uh, rubber marks all over the rock, so it's kind of possible to sort of see where you need to climb. Yeah, for um, sure. The ones that are used a lot, it, mm. they're pretty much like a gym route at this point. Yeah, I was listening to Alex Honnold talk on a podcast yesterday. He's that guy who did that free solo movie where he like climbed up El Capitan with no ropes. Oh, I want uh, to see that one. I heard about dude, that. Yeah. So crazy. This the man's either insane. suicidal or brave or both. Probably he's both. Just, yeah, both, I think. But I don't think he's suicidal. I think he was just very, very sure that he could do it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he crazy. He was talking about how people set these routes and um they just climb up with no ropes uh, and then they have like a drill bit and a hammer and every time they want to put a hook into the rock, they just like tap it twice and then twist it and then tap it twice and twist it. And they have to do this for about 20 to 30 minutes to get each hook in. So to lay like an entire route up something like El Capitan, I think took him like a year or something like that. And um, these are just people doing it for like no money. They just do it because they like rock climbing. Like no it's one's obsessive. Like... Uh... I'm not kidding. I feel like uh, uh, Marty needed to have an intervention with him at some point uh, <laughs> because he, he ended up going to the gym like every day and uh, just he was doing the tunnel vision thing, but with rock climbing, you know, mm. that's I mean, that's not a, not a bad problem to have. Yeah, I mean, yeah he's in really good shape. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe it's a problem if destroying your relationships or something like maybe your wife comes home and she's like damn it marty we have to talk about your rock climbing he's like damn it bitch oh poor marty i'm just like trying to think of how that could destroy your relationship with <laughs> yeah great like climbing for two hours a day it's like how's that gonna fuck anything up if anything it might give you like some shoulder problems if you don't do it correctly or something you know, Marty told me uh, one time he went to Vietnam, he says that's one of the best places to go for rock climbing because they have these cliffs that go over the blue Pacific water. And if you fall in, you fall like 50 feet, but then you fall in the water. And, you oh, know, wow. I, I'm not a rock climber, but I would climb out just halfway just to do something like that. That would be fun. Dude, falling into water is still so sketchy. Yeah, especially if you don't mean to. You're like, all right, I'm going to get to this now. Ah! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and also like, yeah, if you fall into water a specific way, it's kind of just like falling onto like not quiet concrete, but not also very soft stuff. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like I think can... it's a it's a height issue, and like because based on your speed, like the water tension could could actually be as hard as concrete. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they've put nets up all around Golden Gate Bridge for this reason because um, some people jump off the bridge and uh, hit the water and it kills Pretty them. sure they're trying to kill themselves though. They are, but that's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. they're, jumping in, they're jumping into water still yeah. and it's like enough to kill them. But uh, somebody jumped off the bridge and um, uh, didn't die and... He said the experience he had was that when he jumped, he realized he could fix everything else in his life except for the thing which he'd just done, which is jumped off the bridge. Aww. Uh, and then he lived, and now they put uh, nets up all around the bridge. <sighs> I'm, yeah. I'm just know, one, like... One time uh, Zebler got uh, busted at the, at the, the uh, Hoover Dam. We were, ta- we were taking pictures. It's epic at the Hoover Dam. You ever been up there? Looking over? No. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's it's scary. But, you know, we we'll, we'll always get a good picture. At one point, Zeb kind of leaned over and we had the camera above. And uh, it was a great shot because it was just his dreadlocks kind of hanging over. But then they came on the <laughs> loudspeaker and they're like, Sir? Sir? <laughs> Step away from the side of the Hoover Dam. That is not allowed. <laughs> awesome. It was really embarrassing, but a lot of fun. <laughs> damn that's sick yeah you guys drive everywhere right when you do shows so you probably get to see tons of sick shit yeah i've been to every state in this country uh you know alaska and hawaii obviously fly outs but uh, every other state driving through for sure mm, yeah I, but, I feel like driving around is the the best way to tour but it's also kind of like the most time consuming. It's exhausting. It's it really exhausting. exhausting. I feel like the novelty for me kind of wore off because like, like I said, I've been to every state already. <laughs> like, right. And it's, it's still fun and it's still funny with the stuff that, that gets old. is just like, you know, your car breaking down on tour. It's like, oh, no, not again. Like, we got to go to some garage and find some stinking mechanic and like have and like paw through the thing and then like chilling on the side of the road just kicking the curb you know like that kind of stuff is sort of like i've seen it before and in, in a way flyouts make make a lot more sense for that reason you're just in and out and and it's a bit more cushy and safe uh but i did take a massive road trip across the whole country this summer and just just because i wanted to and I think I think that's that's a part of it that's also still exciting for me is that like I still like traveling, I still like seeing stuff, and sometimes just having the freedom to go wherever your eyes are looking at is, is still kind of cool. Yeah, especially when you're not pressed for time to like be at the next show. That, that's or the thing. Is it like on tour? I think that's what you kind of nailed it. What wears me out is just you know not being able to sleep sometimes. Like the show's over. Let's say Ben and. Uh, whoever else is helping us are all nice and toasted and they're like dad you drive and you know so <laughs> i'm like next venue we gotta go and i'm driving them over to like 4 a.m and then i just pull over somewhere and take a micro nap because i don't want to kill everybody in the car and then kind of keep going and like wake whoever next sober person is and have <laughs> them take over you know that's been our thing but yeah if you're yeah. if you don't have the time restrictions 
traveling has has been really like one of the best things in my life. I would say it, it's the thing that makes me the happiest, and I I would recommend it so highly to every American person, especially because people are kind of like really enclosed here. And I find that as soon as you're forced to live in another culture, it really opens you up. It, it makes you a much more tolerant person and you can kind of just understand people a lot more easily, have a little more compassion for what they're going through in their lives too. Totally. I also think traveling a lot just makes you more tolerant in general of just like shitty situations like at the there's definitely a lot of times when i'm hanging around a lot of people who aren't as well traveled as me and something will just like go wrong right like we're just traveling for a day of i don't know going to a theme park or whatever the fuck we're doing and just like something won't go our way or whatever it is and i find i'm just like oh whatever a thing happened like we'll just solve it like uh, and it doesn't really bother me at all i'm just like <laughs> fairly used to just shit not going my way whilst traveling um, and yeah, I notice like a lot of people around me generally get a lot, a lot more pissed off about that kind of stuff than I do. I'm so kind of with you too. Like I, I've had a situation where I was going to Europe for Christmas to see my mom and, uh, every single flight I was on three flights, every single flight was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so I ended up spending basically like three days traveling to Europe that was supposed to take one day just like they would cancel my flights put me at the hotel i got stuck in london overnight and and it was just like a nightmare but because i've i've traveled so much before it, i i just kind of relaxed into it and i was like all right so this is what's happening i understand all my options and i had a i had a kind of a good time i quietly had a good time i i had a proper british breakfast and uh, <laughs> eventually got to see my beans mom. and all but I, I also want to maybe take a minute and like give my home country a shout out because they're going through some shit right now. It's, uh, it's been, I've honestly been really depressed and I didn't even fully want to do this interview because like I've seen people that I consider friends get tortured and killed in prison. There was just a, a funeral for one of them in the hometown of my grandmother. And it's just been really, really fucked up, to be honest. Like everybody wants revolution and then revolution happens and your friends start dying and it's a, it's a whole other vibe. It's really heavy for me. And um, yeah, this last week, I feel like the whole world got to see how fucked up situation is. Cause like, you know, our dictator rerouted, like hijacked a flight, hijacked Ryan air flight straight out of the air, like escorted him in the military airplane to Minsk's capital to arrest a reporter he like kidnapped 200 people just to arrest one guy and so you know that dude is surely getting tortured now too and it's just fucked up like these people he's after are like 20 year old kids like it's it's really breaking my heart to see that kind of shit happen in the middle of europe it's just really not not right so just bless everybody there who's who's still fighting for freedom and democracy yeah, man, I'm sorry to hear that you're dealing with friends going through that. And yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't know a lot about what that country is going through, but it sounds fucked. I do know a little bit about um, that guy in Russia. What was his name? Uh, fuck. He was like this dude who was he was he was kind of like uh, running a YouTube channel and saying a bunch of uh shit against putin where he was, he was pretty much just like standing up against putin 
uh, fuck, what is his name? I'm just going to Google it. I, people tell me all the time not to Google shit on the podcast, but I'm, I'm going to do it this time. Uh, Alexi something. Uh, Alexi Navalny. You know this guy? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, he just straight up got poisoned with a like, Dude, radioactive with substance. Yeah, with like a nerve agent, right? He was on yeah. the Yeah, I mean, Putin and, and Lukashenko, like they're like, Lukashenko is the dictator of my country, Belarus. And like, Putin basically gave him a huge amount of money to, to have him be in power because ultimately he just wants to gobble up Belarus as well and make it part of Russia, you know? So they're kind of the same person. And like Lukashenko has been learning from Putin where Putin is like, hey, don't worry about it. I poison my opponents all the time. You see, nobody gives a shit because nobody does. It's like, yeah, you can sanction them, but that's kind of like nothing to someone who has billions of dollars, if you think about it. And so, so it's just like the same rule book. Uh, he just realized that he has a whole country at his disposal and he can scramble a military jet just to pull over a plane from midair to arrest a guy and torture him. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, the shit, shit going on over in Russia is a whole nother level for sure um, that we don't quite see as much here, I guess, or at least not as much in broad daylight as it seems to be happening over there. Um, yeah, I really am curious to see what happens in terms of whether or not we'll start traveling in a direction of having less dictators and less, you know, of this uh, Putin-esque type government or if we'll, you know, somehow just go more in that direction. You know, maybe this is just the nihilist in me talking, uh, but I think it's just pure chaos. It's like sometimes we move in a good direction. Sometimes people go in the direction of like freedom, democracy, that kind of stuff. But like we've had entire dark ages, you know, we've had inquisition. We've had people's like balls get ripped out for not agreeing that we have like the same God and stuff. Uh, things can go south on us so quick. And it, and the, in particularly, I'm really disheartened by how easily people are manipulated to believe anything like I, I find that like with the flat earther thing exploding on the internet, it's just like, come on, we are so manipulatable. People just want to believe. They don't care to fact check anything. They don't care to, to really puzzle out the logic of things. Uh, people want to be led. And because people want to be led, there's so many other people that are willing to abuse that and to promise anything they can in order to get to power to then just do whatever they want. And, and in that kind of environment where there's no fact-checking, where there's no checking to see if the person leading you is, has the right thing in their heart, like, it can be chaotic. You can go through like hundreds of years, I think, of peace, and then out of nowhere, like a shitty person can turn it all around and brainwash the entire population, like freaking like Stalin did, like like Hitler did where like, why, why you would think it's so outrageous that like you can kill someone who lives next to you for just their ethnicity. But people are convinced like you're like our grandparents were convinced to do this and there are wars around the world right now as we speak. So, so it's just like, I hope for the best and I'm prepared for the worst. I think that's, that's been my outlook. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I feel like in terms of fact-checking, um, one byproduct of us just having unlimited amounts of information available to us at all times is that people no longer 
have the energy to like read everything that's put in front of them and instead they just want like a hot take you know they don't want to know like the whole story they just want to know like what's the main points and if you're like a crooked news company you can easily just put a few like hot take points underneath the headline and be like this person is like this this person is like this that's all you need to know and then like people will just take that and be like all right that's all correct <laughs> it's been actually weird for me to think of like how much power media publications have when i think of how they're able to move stock markets because like that's a good example because a lot of consumer like stock purchasers are not really that educated in it so they will just go and follow their favorite uh publication and just see what they recommend and then the first thing that pops up is the recommendation and we'll just buy it and that's crazy but it's true like it, it's it's really easy once you get to that point and it's really useful to to like have media at your fingertips i think that's why so many successful politicians pair up with media companies or straight up own them yeah totally yep if you control all the information you control all the things yeah because because you like literally i think you can influence like 30 40 percent of the population so long as you just put stuff in front of their face that they they like consume without thinking you know you can change uh opinions about things that way you can yeah you just shift public opinion one way or another and it's uh uh i would say that there's no way to even win this fight in a clean way it's like we have to use the same strategy of propaganda to to advocate for goodness it's just how things work wait so if you think governments are like this crooked um where do you stand on 9-11 oh my <laughs> fucking god i hate you guys i hate you so much <laughs> Let me let me have some more of my chicken salad here. Uh, that was my fault. That was the last time we got together. That's all right. No, okay. Well, let's get serious for a second. So, so like, I'm not gonna really espouse my opinions about it, but I'm just gonna give a shout out to Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor is just a really good like logic puzzle that you can think to yourself at some point, and that is, what is the most likely thing? Right. And and so I find that a lot of conspiracy theorists oh, isn't, no, ignore, is, it's the, ignore the Occam's razor conclusion and pick the one that's more interesting. And uh, and I find uh, that I lose it with people when they choose interesting things to be real over things that are more likely to be real. And I'm just going to pause it right here because it's between Ben and I, it's been a heated topic. And <laughs> despite of uh, it, we remained uh, friends to this point. Yeah, so let's I think, keep it I think that the, way. I think the topic was, um, it was, it was, I think Bill asked me, is there anything that you and Zebler like truly disagree on? I was like, well, ne never get us going about nine 11, <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to stop it right there. We're actually cutting it off. <clears throat> Ring fenced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think Occam's razor is actually, uh, the thing that takes the least amount of assumptions is usually the correct thing. Right. I think that's uh, how it works. Yeah, I think you're probably right about it. I was just simplifying it, kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, there's also another razor. I think it's called Handles Razor or something like that. And it's uh, like that that logic thing is um, don't attribute uh, whatever can simply be attributed to just like 
negligence to like other things. <laughs> like if something can easily oh. be dismissed as like just somebody being negligent, like it's yeah, probably yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I'm I'm also seeing a lot of that. Like where, uh, if you look at how many medical mistakes, for example, are done on a daily basis in the United States, it's a staggering number. Yeah. Do you know about the uh, "No Thing Left Behind" campaign? Uh, what's that? It's a uh, so. Is it about yeah, surgery like it, tools being left in your stomach? Are you yeah. serious? Yeah, yeah. It's how called did, No, how did no I even Thing. Guess that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's called No Thing Left Behind, and it's just like some campaign that's been put in place to stop people having like scissors and shit just left inside them after surgeries because that apparently happens yeah. like a lot. That's crazy. And I've been also thinking a lot lately about, uh, let, let's say like you're a witness in a trial somewhere and you're a witness to a crime and they ask you to describe the scene that you saw. The likelihood that you're going to describe a real situation is like zero. Yeah, memory is real bad. You, yeah, so memories go bad really fast, but also our decisions are influenced by how hungry we are, uh, how hot we are, what time of day it is, uh, what like all sorts of tiny little things bring noise into our ability to make a clean decision, right? And that noise permeates human decision-making in mass. I think it's just like, so much of everything that we decide is influenced by randomness that just pushes us one way or another. So I, I just feel like a lot of our decisions are really stupid, <laughs> like not optimized as a, as a humanity. We're just like, have you ever seen a team of ants try to bring a piece of bread somewhere? They're pulling it like in every direction and somehow it ends up in the right place. But I find that like, you know, it's kind of like the same with, with, our human brains, we're just like, oh, I'm gonna, uh, yeah, let's go there. Let's go this way. And ultimately, we end up in some place, but it could be optimized, I feel like, by a lot. Mm. Where do you stand on free will? I, <laughs> I think free will is kind of a joke. Um, and it's, it's not a useful concept uh, because it's, I, I don't understand how something like free will can exist. Uh, because, okay, like, let's say you are uh, defining free will as you're able to make independent decisions, like independent of what? Well, the, the definition of free will, I think, is that you could have chosen to do otherwise. Oh, like any, so anything you, you've decided to do, you could have chosen to do a different thing. But that it's just really confusing. It's confusing to me. And I, and I think I'm more... I'm more into surrendering to the flow these days and just understanding that, that I'm a tiny speck in the universe and, and then it's going to express itself through me. And then I'm a product of eons of years of evolution. And that everything that I'm saying right now is, is being influenced so greatly by the product that shaped me to be what I am at this moment, that whatever arbitrary chance there is for me to pick a different outcome is rendered irrelevant by the fact that I'm already shaped into this giant spear being thrown forward in time and whatever surface level decisions I'm choosing or not choosing is rendered irrelevant by the sheer force of that motion. We're moving. We're, we're moving whether we want it or not. We are product. We are gear. We are cog in a giant machine. And sure, we can feel things, we can have our subjective reality where we feel like we're deciding something, 
But like in reality, there's been also studies that show that the, your brain has already made up its mind before you are aware of it. You know, so so little things like that just cue me in that the whole conversation I feel like about free will is kind of missing a larger point where like I I don't think it's a useful concept. Yeah, I don't think it's a useful concept either. Although I do think it's useful to realize that it doesn't exist in a lot of senses. Um, and the yeah. biggest sense is uh, in the way that we, you know, deal with people who do do the incorrect thing, right? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, like I'm I'm down to have a crazy, intricate moral conversation about all sorts of moral decisions, but it's it's tricky. It's it's really tricky. Uh, if you shift your perspective on on that. Uh, it really shakes up a lot of um, how we treat criminals or, you know, what we do with each other as humans, you know, it's right. It's yeah, big. I find that the best way to think about this is um, like if a bear or a tiger or something right. like eats your hand <laughs> off, you know, you have a completely different uh, reaction to that bear or tiger than if a, another human eats your hand. Yeah. But we, should, we shouldn't really. I mean, it's hard to say, right? I mean, if you don't believe in free will, then yes, we shouldn't. But like, if you do believe in free will, then we should. I don't know. <laughs> it's a it's a hard pill to swallow though, right? Like if somebody eats your hand to be like, it was, you didn't have a choice, it's fine. Oh no, man. <laughs> like I, I feel like I've been through so much shit and I've had to like justify seeing like people tie up my mom with ropes and shit when I was a little kid. Like it was just brutal violence where I lived. That I had to make peace with all sorts of shit. I'm just like, nature and people are the same. And nature does really brutal shit to each other. Like there's worms eating other worms from the inside, you know. And people will do the same thing because we're just part of nature. And <clears throat> it's just best to make peace with it. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it for sure. Um, cool, man. Well, did you... Did you guys want to say anything more about your album before we wrap this up? Or do you want to say anything more about anything? I would just say that a really good way to experience the album is probably to stream it in full 4K quality straight from the Shivlight website on uh, YouTube. Uh, yeah, and it's just a really meditative experience. So so it's perfectly fine for you to not seek, out us, uh, seek us out at a dance party, but just to have a private experience with your friends in your living room, like a private watching. Uh, you guys have a full blessing from me and Encanti to do that and have a great time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, total same. I've, I've, this is a, yeah, I, you know, it was hard call, figuring out what to call this album, you know, because it's not a chill album. There's moments that are like, you know, kind of epic and and uh, there's definitely some beats in there, you know. It's it's not a it's not a halftime chill sunrise album in the same sense that a lot of bass music is. Uh, but I would call it a deep listening album. So, um, you know, if 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 you uh, whether you just listen to it or you go for the whole AV experience, I hope that it's something that people come back to and and hear new things. I hope that it's it's will leave you with uh, some feelings, but also some thoughts like, oh, how was that made and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm re just really glad it's out there. It feels like really, really good to 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 put this out. You know, I think that it's a, it's a real real moment for us today, and I'm really glad you could be part of it, Bill. Yeah, man. Well, thanks thanks a lot for coming on the podcast to both of you and 
yeah, I look forward to watching the full 4K experience later, probably tonight. Nice. Awesome, man. Well, g- give Jan uh, my best and, uh, and, and little YouTube there too. I remember when little YouTube was just born when it was like two days old. Yeah, you were there for sure when we just got got her, weren't you? Yeah, I had just got my cell phone and those are some of the oldest pictures of my phone. I'll go and post it in your the bill group at some point. <laughs> o- yeah. OG YouTube. Fuck yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.